Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 29 of the Speaking Club podcast. And today on the show, we've got an accountant, which is a real coincidence because just last week I was trying to balance my books. In the end, I gave up and got some shelves. It's a groaner. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. And this month is all about making your content more engaging. And I've got some fabulous people coming on from disciplines where the content can often be technical, complicated, maybe living a little bit dry. And they're going to be sharing strategies and tools that you can use to make your audience sit up, smile and remember you. If you're a regular listener to the show, thanks so much for giving me your time and attention. And if this is the first time for you, I hope you enjoy. But whether you're a regular club member or a first timer, I'm pretty confident you're not going to want to miss what I've got planned for future episodes. So make sure that you subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single one. Oh, and if you love the podcast, please leave a rating and review. It means a lot to me, really. And my guest on this episode well, is a man who spent 30 years as an accountant and today he spends his time helping businesses in that industry stand out and gain the edge. So in this show, he's going to be sharing his views on speaking, on why you need to remember your customers when you're thinking about your presentation and not just even when you're doing it, but in the inception of it. Uh, also, he's going to be talking about how important models are in building a talk and how you can make it memorable and lots and lots more. Oh, and he's a professional debunker. I'm not actually sure what that is. It could mean he's great with a sand wedge or he sabotages golf clubs in his spare time. Who knows? But let's find out from Mark Lee. So Mark Lee is a professional speaker, mentor, facilitator, author, blogger, and debunker. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Sarah. It's good to be here. Well, I'm curious, actually. I want to know, first of all, what is professional debunking? How does that work? I realized over the years, my target audience, or everybody I talk to, will talk about are accountants. And having been blogging for a long time and speaking to accountants, I realized a lot of the time I am debunking hype and myths people getting them to waste time and money doing stuff that doesn't work for them typically because the people promoting the ideas don't actually understand accountants as well as they pretend to oh i and see it's wow. a great word to add in there because it does lend itself to the question what do you mean so you get a conversation about it around it i have a friend who uh, phones up and says oh is that the debunker <laughs> Excellent. I like that. It's a bit of fun. (laughs) Yes. Now, you haven't got a typical CV, have you? You've been an accountant, tax advisor, magician, a speaker. I wanted to know, first of all, why did you go into accounting? What attracted you to accounting in the first place? Well, uh, as a young teenager, 
who couldn't get any action with the girls, um, <laughs> I, 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 found, I came home from school one day crying and my, my mother said, you know, what, what's the problem? And I said, well, the girls don't seem interested in me. I said, why is that? She said, well, they're only interested in the guys who can tell jokes or sing songs, those who are very sporty or those who are very handsome. And I don't tick any of those boxes. And she said, well, you'd like magic. Maybe they'd like your magic. And so I started doing magic, magic tricks at school, became a children's party entertainer, and then thought that I'd do that full time until, until I had a conversation with an accountant at my parents' behest who helped me to appreciate that I wouldn't be able to achieve my aspirations in life if I simply continued being a children's party entertainer. So I started to study accountancy because that meant it would leave the door open to me as to what I would do professionally because it would just give me a professional business qualification. Although in the event, after I qualified as an accountant, I moved into tax very quickly. I was a tax advisor for about 25 years. Some would say reached the top of my profession. I was chairman of the tax faculty at the ICAW, quite, built quite a decent profile. But it wasn't really floating my boat. And 11 years ago, after I was made redundant for the second time, I decided I would much prefer to do the things I enjoyed. Speaking, writing, mentoring, authoring. Oh, debunking. I'm not sure it was in there at the time. <laughs> Excellent. So, so that quote on your, on your website that you, you're presenting goes back to when you were a teenager and you had the most challenging of audiences. That yep. was the, the children it was referring to. It was indeed. Not accountants. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can be ch- I've done a I've done a stand-up comedy gig to a bunch of accountants and it was hard work, I have to say. I'm sure. But anyway, where, where does magic fit into your life today? Well, I, I'm, I have three voluntary roles in life. One is with a, a quite, uh, family and children's, children's services charity. Another, I'm on the member and commercial board of the Institute Chartered Accountants. But thirdly, I'm treasurer of the Magic Circle. Um. So I go to the Magic Circle most Monday nights. Uh, I'm always looking for ways to add magic into my talks without, trivi- 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 without pretending that it's not important. There's a word there, isn't it? Trivialising. That's it. That's what I don't do. <laughs> uh, and, and I also do close-up magic for friends and family at uh, parties and uh, dinners and out at the pub or whatever. It, when I'm asked to. When I was younger, I did it without asking. Now, now I generally wait to be asked. Excellent. So I couldn't resist it. Treasurer of the Magic Circle, your job there is to make sure the money doesn't disappear. You are the, seriously, you are the first person to get that right. Everybody always says... I bet you make the money disappear. And you, you get, why would I do that? <laughs> I, thought ev- I thought everyone would have done that, Jake. So I was just, yeah. I'll just throw it in there. But um, ex- no, you've got it right. <laughs> so 11 years ago, you said, you, you yeah. started on your speaking journey in, in, in the way that you're doing it today. How did you start that off? How did you know? Was it easy to get gigs at that point? Well, it, it was. Well, it actually dates back long before that. I got into speaking uh, as a result of getting into training in the in the tax world and then the accounting world generally, and I was very comfortable in front of audiences, probably due to the magic and the performing, generally. And 1996, I think, I first joined a local Toastmasters group to sort of hone my skills of speaking publicly and to develop uh, speaking on the spur of the moment. So I did that Toastmasters for a while, that helped. 
Uh, and I was doing training as an employee. So I would do it at the large firms of accountants or tax consultants that I worked for. And then I was getting engaged by large tra tax training companies. And I was doing that because I could do it. And it was just another way of generating fees and raising the profile of the tax consultancy that I was with. Uh -huh. uh, then 2006, when I was made redundant, speaking was always going to be one of the strings to my bow. And I continued doing the, it was training more than speaking uh, initially. Excellent. I, I kind of think it might have been harder back when you were doing that training in terms of the, the material, I'm particularly interested in our talk today and how you make you know, information rich or perhaps dry stuff entertaining for people. I mean, I know you talk today to accountants, but I think the stuff you're talking about today might be slightly more business focused than actually the sort of nuts and bolts of accountancy. What was right. it was it more tax based and back then? Was it drier back then? And if it was, how did you make it more engaging for people? Well it, it was it probably was much drier back then, a lot of content and tax update material. And I suppose my natural exuberance, enthusiastic style and personality probably had much to do with the fact that I got books and encouraged to go back places again um, but I did develop up from that you're absolutely right into more business focused material initially the first first paid gig I did in my own right uh, after I uh, went self-employed was how to make more profits from your smaller clients uh, this was back you know, 10 10 11 12 years ago now when the m word was a dirty word accountants didn't want to know about the m word they didn't want to be told about marketing oh right <laughs> i was gonna so, say it can't be money <laughs> no, and it wasn't magic either uh, they didn't they didn't want to hear about uh, marketing so you had to talk uh, without referencing marketing but essentially you were helping them to market themselves better to generate more business and to provide a wider range of services to their to their clients and that talk i had variations on that talk because it continually evolved uh, i did that for years and well i haven't been asked to do it for a while i could still almost do it at the drop of a hat but it would be very different now yes um, yeah so th so basically started that was that was your face first pay gig was that a, a well-paid gig was it easy to yeah, come well, by that one well it, it was because i've been doing the training courses it, instead of being paid through the accountancy firm, I was paid in my own right. Uh, and I just went with the going rate, which back then was probably a thousand pounds for a half day. Oh, okay. Something like that. Uh, and it, it, it grew out of a, 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 one of the last employed roles I had. Uh, I say employed, I, was, I tended to be a partner, but in, if you're going to get made redundant, you might as well think of it in terms of being an employee. <laughs> Um, and I was running the tax support for professionals team at a large tax consultancy that wanted to promote itself to accountants to get them to refer difficult tax questions to the consultancy. So one of the tips that I shared was to recognize that many clients want their accountants to be business advisors and to tell them what they need, if, even if the accountant can't provide the advice themselves. And then a couple of uh, years uh, ago I well probably you know, probably long ago than that I evolved that talk and and other talks into much more general material around marketing and promoting 
and being more successful and being more satisfied with what you're doing as, yeah. as well. That's brilliant. So, and so you kind of, it was a natural progression into the topic that you, you ended up doing. It, it, you talk on different things today or the same thing? Well, it, it, it varies. Um, I joined the Professional Speaking Association uh, three or four years ago and quickly learned that very few members are solely keynote speakers. And most of them are trainers, consultants uh, or coaches. Uh, so I fitted in very well. But one of the themes that kept coming up was the value of having a model of some sort that you talk around. And I realized that a lot of what I did was helping accountants to distinguish themselves from other accountants. And so I created a seven point framework on how to stand out from your competitors in order to be better remembered, referred and recommended. Oh. And a lot of my talks over the last few years have either been around that model or have incorporated that model as well. So it's almost like you have a core, you know, sort of centerpiece of your talk and, and you create the talk around that centerpiece, depending on which audience you're talking to. I think, I think, I th I think that's right. Um, although I'd, I'd never, never want anyone to think I was shoehorning them, shoehorning my material into a, a talk on a different subject. So I, I, I've been booked to talk about how accountants can use LinkedIn effectively or social media generally. That invariably involves me debunking a lot of the hype around how it works for them or not. But I'll reference how to stand out on LinkedIn or, or elsewhere as part of that and reference the model there as well. But I, I, I have I am in the process of preparing a completely new talk or what I thought was going to be a completely new <laughs> Yes. Yes. Tell, uh, tell this story about your latest topic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I got asked uh, beginning of December, would I do a talk uh, in a couple of months time now on the future for accountancy or, you know, what accountants have got to do before they get taken over by cyber accountants. And I started uh, collating material for this. I said, yes, I could do the talk because I'm very interested in what's coming in the future. And again, I wanted to debunk a lot of the hype around it. Uh, I was asked to talk about you know, what accountancy firms would be like in five to 10 years time, but recognized even though that was what the booker wanted me to do, in terms of the audience, there have got to be some valuable takeaways. So, yes, I will talk about what the world will be like in five or ten years' time for accountants, but I'll then bring it back in terms of what have we got to do over the next 12 to 18 months to be ready for that, to be well prepared for it. And it's been fascinating. I've done an enormous amount of research, also drawn on articles and blog posts that I've written, which I, I always do when I'm updating talks. I'll, I'll often, I think I've mentioned to you, uh, I googled stuff about the future for accountancy and found loads of loads of really great material out there and i i thought well, i wonder if i've written anything about it because i've hundreds of blog posts dozens and dozens of hundreds of articles actually so i i added my name into the search and found i'd written loads <laughs> on the subject not just not in the six last six months or so um so adapting all that into uh, a talk what i want to do this time there is I'm conscious that my talks have always been content heavy and I want this time to just be a bit lighter on, on the content. Um, so I've started with the research and the organization. I've started with the takeaways 
So having got all that material, I started with the takeaways and the value that I know the audience and the bookers want and need. And that helps me plan the opening and, and the close. And then I've just got to get everything down, everything else down to some, no more than three or four sections, each with a few themes. So I also so that I can cut everything down if I'm presenting a shorter talk on the same subject. Yes, I think that's a really good idea. I and mean, I, I do this when I work with my clients. I always get them to have like a signature talk that they can, you know, make longer or shorten depending on the amount of time that they they've got. So, do you, do you always go through the same process of for creating your talks, or is it different? I would say that this 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 time it is it is different because uh, I know that there's a lot of material that I is not front of mind most of the talks i've done in the past i know that i've written and re i've researched the material in the past in order to write about it so i've been able to just go back to my own stuff and maybe add a few other bits and pieces in this time i've i've gone much further afield um, and in addition to all, all the material about the future for accountants and general predictions past experiences time scales and what can you do uh, what i've also done is started dipping into my notes of stories and lessons from my life to add some flavor to the talk and to make it personal to me so that if people are remembering it they're going to remember my presentation on the subject not just the the generalities and then i also have to think about what magic tricks i might be able to adapt and include without it being too contrived <laughs> interesting so tell me how do you have do you use magic tricks generally when you talk yeah i i I try to ensure there's at least one or two, often three tricks in there. There'll often be acronyms or references to, to magic in terms of analogies. Again, as long as it's not contrived, uh, one of the challenges I set myself was never to make anybody, I, I never want the situation to be people leave my talk and go, that was one of Mark's talks. Yeah, as usual, a load of contrived references to magic. Yeah, and as long as nobody does that, I've succeeded. Excellent. So it's it's um it's complementary rather than shoehorned in, basically. Oh, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. And how are you getting on with your stories? Because I think you know, a lot of times people say to me, "I don't know what stories to tell," and I'm always like, "Well, there's you know, first look at your life, then look at outside at what's going on, you know, in the world. If there's other people, has it been easy to come up with stories? Have you been creating a bank?" as you've gone along in your life or oh I've, I've been creating i have been creating a bank of them again it was a great tip i got from a colleague at the psa a few years ago and initially i started I, it, I, you do this anyway sarah i know but it's a notebook and every time i caught myself telling a story with friends or on the phone i'd quickly make a note afterwards the stories stories of my life effectively not all of them amusing uh, but the more I did that, the more historical stuff would come up and float to the surface of my memory. At one point, I started dividing the stories so that I had different stories that I could use to highlight each of the seven steps in my, in my standout framework. Uh, but I've got far more than will ever fit into that. And so I've just been digging around in there thinking, what might fit into talking about the future? Well, actually, thinking back into the past and thinking what life was like 20 or 30 years ago and how stupid I was or things that I learnt 
I'm talking about the, the future for cyber accountants. And what do you know, 20 years ago, I produced the first tax planning software for accountants, and it was called CyberTax. <laughs> so I think that'll probably get a mention. Oh, yeah, cool. And so, so what are these cyber accountants? What do you mean by a cyber accountant? What's that? Well, it, 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 it's a word that I, I, I'm still toying with. I'm not sure it'll end up being uh, uh, in, in the the use it in the talk itself but it, it's a short shorthand for the future for accountancy but also trying to make the title of the talk stand out a little bit you know something as as boring as you know what does the future hold for accountants and what can you do about it is probably less attractive as a title than um what to do before the cyber accountants take over yeah, no, it does sound quite sci-fi and uh, yeah, quite quite compelling to go and go and see that talk. But uh, yeah. and how long does it take you to put your talks together? Months. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't sit down and do it in in one go. Uh, uh, so I got asked on beginning of December would I do this talk, and I just started googling and searching for stuff. Set up Google alerts to identify anything new that pops up. Uh, I've set up Paper uh, paper.li to create a daily uh, news sheet if you like on related topics and, and ideas and I dip into that every now and again uh, I read through the articles I extract snippets from them that would inspire me for content for the talk uh, I thought I might end up with a load of written documentation and sort of a, to support the the talk some sort of a book or something which may happen later in the year but I don't think this is the sort of talk that warrants most of the talks I've done for accountants uh, you often get asked to produce notes as well as slides and again partly a function of being at the PSA I've moved more and more away from notes and more and more away from bullet point slides mm. uh, which were then sort of you could get away in the environments that I've been speaking. You, you could get away without notes as long as you had very detailed slides. Oh. So moving to slides that, in effect, don't convey the full content um, isn't normally ideal in the world of accountancy because they're all so used to having detailed notes, uh, which can be a pain in the backside. <laughs> That's really interesting because I would always coach my clients to have, you know, absolute minimum amount of text on a slide you know probably no more than absolutely maximum three bullet points or whatever yep. and, and and mostly go with pictures because people can get distracted by text and all sorts of stuff but so there's almost like an expectation and a value associated with uh speaking and using those sort of text rich slides in your world then it is very much in my world where it's training focused material oh. if you like um because otherwise, what, what, what's going to be their takeaway values just in their memory, uh, which isn't enough for the time that they've committed to, to attending the, the course. It, it partly goes back to the fact that historically, accountants have made time for technical updates to a much greater extent than they've made time to develop their, what I call KBS, key business skills. Mm. And you'll never guess, one of the key lessons that comes out of my new talk is this even greater importance going forwards of developing your KBS, key business skills, than Absolutely. ever before. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess that's that, that you're spot on. I mean, how do they take that marketing message? Because, you know, have times changed since you first started talking to it? Are they more on board now? I mean, I know a few accountants who seem quite switched on to social media, but I'm sure there are lots that perhaps are, are still holding on to the way things were in the past. Well, it, it's, a, it's a sad truism that those who turn up for the courses and the talks uh, are already, already convinced of the value. And you know, I've spoken to a number of training providers for courses for accountants, and they confirm my experience, which historically was if you could get a third of the audience to turn up for a personal business skills development that you got for a technical update, you'd done well. Wow. Now, last year, I was averaging 50%. In other words, if I was doing a talk in the afternoon after a technical update somebody else had done in the morning, I was typically getting 50% of the of the size audience uh, that was actually a really positive achievement <laughs> get them to stay on yeah because it, it is an interesting thing because i think i was watching one of your talks and i think a point that you made sort of resonated with me and it sort of stuck with me which is in these sort of high credence professions such as accountancy and i would imagine it's the same with lawyers you have to do something very bad to lose a client. I think you were, you were talking about someone who's a friend of yours that, you know, his accountant wasn't being proactive as you would have expected. And yet they were still going to stay with them, even though they weren't necessarily getting the sort of service that you, you, you know, high quality service that you'd expect. Is that, is that why it's not as important to them? Because they're not losing the clients. Very much so. That's exactly right. Accountants have been in practice for many years, have generally built up a good client base, and it means they can afford to be complacent because they're comfortable. Um, as we move forwards over the next few years, there will be more accountants losing clients than there have ever been because of increased use of online bookkeeping, uh, book and cloud accounting, and those accountants will want to replace those clients but for the last for as far back as i can remember once you've got an established client base unless you're looking to grow your practice because there are going to be more partners in the firm or you want loads of staff and lots of accountants don't then there's no great incentive to spend time and effort learning how to market and promote your practice because yes You'll need a few clients each year because one or two will leave or die off. But equally, you'll win a few new clients because enough of your clients are happy to recommend or refer you to somebody else. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, so going back to your talks then, yeah. how, you know, obviously I'm getting a sense that you've got your magic and your stories. What else do you do, if anything, to, to make <laughs> sure that they are engaging and entertaining for your audience? Well, I'll always include topical references where I can. That's something from the news generally or news for the accounting world. Guy, I lead an exciting life. Um, <laughs> there'll be, uh, there's often analogies in there, acronyms, um, stagecraft that I've learned over the years, making use of the, the space, balancing the heavy stuff with lightness and I suppose that a fun style and approach without diminishing the, the seriousness if, if the topic needs to be. To be serious as well. I give you an example, if you like. Yes. Um, when I'm talking about networking and one of the ways in which you can stand out effectively uh, as an accountant is to have more powerful conversations than other accountants. 
So I, I advocate the four suits approach to having more powerful conversations. That's four suits from a deck of cards. Uh-huh. Spades, hearts, clubs, diamonds. And very briefly, with spades, you start the conversation by digging around with a metaphorical spade to find out interesting things about the person that you're with, listening to them. The idea is you're moving on to hearts to try and form an emotional connection with them, find something you have in common, which then means if you've asked enough questions, you can then talk about clubs where clients of yours are in the same club as the person you're talking to. They're in the same situation. They have the same challenges, issues or problems. And you then tell relevant stories that will resonate about clients of yours in the same club as the person you're with. So that was spades, hearts, clubs, diamonds, Diamonds we know are really valuable. So what's the most valuable part of the conversation? It's following up afterwards, making sure you've planned an effective way to follow up and that you then follow through with that follow-up. So oh, space art, clubs and diamonds, four suits approach, having more powerful conversations. Oh, that's brilliant. And does that have a have a some sort of card trick associated with it or to, to lead into it? Or do you just go straight into that? It's, it's, that's lovely. I, have, I haven't heard that before. It's very yeah. nice. Well, I, I, I often start my talks with a pack of cards and not necessarily doing a trick as such, uh, but just fanning a pack of cards and showing that we often see the backs of the cards before we see the faces. And if we didn't know any better, we'd think they're all the same. And it's much the same for accountants. Until somebody gets to know you, they think that you're all the same. Oh, very good. Yes, there is this stereotype, isn't there? I mean, I guess you've got the ones from clients, you know, thinking that they all do the same thing. But that, do you think that this stereotype that accountants have is unfair? Of course it is. Every, every and uh, Sorry to be quite so dismissive in the way no, that I said that. Good, but I, I, I often ask accountants to tell me what it is that's different about them compared to other accountants down the road. And many times they will struggle to identify anything that's really different and because they feel that what they do is the same as every other accountant and I point out that actually the value of the service that every client gets is different because it depends on the accountant's background skills experiences style and approach not just the output being a set of accounts or a tax return or whatever. And we have to stop thinking about the similarity of the output and focus on the different ways in which different accountants deliver that and the different value that account that clients can get from accountants who deliver that value in different ways. That's brilliant. Yeah, because I mean, there, there is a sort of a, a set of services that you would expect, but then there is that thing about people buying people. Indeed. You know, which, which becomes a big differentiator in terms of how, you know, when you're hiring someone, you know, especially the first time. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. And you mentioned stagecraft, you know, putting that into your talks. Could you elaborate on that and just... Is that something that you've got from your magic, you know, when you were entertaining through your magic, or is it something that you've developed over the years as a professional speaker or a combination? It, it's, it's, it's both. Um, by attending the magic circle every week, I'm watching performers oh. uh, on a regular basis. And Hey, you know, I sometimes even watch magic videos. <laughs> uh, as, as I do watch speakers attending the PSA regional meetings every month in the annual convention, um, you, some, you often hear the same messages, but it takes a few times of hearing it or seeing people to realise, ah, oh, yeah, 
you must make good use of the stage. I, I mean, I know this. I've been doing it for years, but as part of my my forthcoming talk, I have factored that in when I talk about the seven uh, seven steps in my framework. Uh, I move to a different part of the stage for each of, of those and move in a different way for some of them as well. And then if I'm reiterating one of the points, I go back to that point of the stage where I referenced that step uh, to help reinforce the difference and just to hopefully help people's memory and to make it a bit more, add, add a bit more variety compared to just standing still in one spot. That's, that's one example. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, I've, I don't know you that well. We've met a few times. But one of the things that comes across to me is even though you have like extensive experience, and there's a humility to you and, a, and an openness to learning, which I think is, is uh, you know, really good. And, you know, in terms of you growing, is because you could stand still. But I think, you know, I don't get that sense from you that you want to stand still. There's always something more that you can learn to make yourself better. That's the impression I get. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm relieved you get that impression because it's, it's certainly something I've, I've worked very hard to do. I think when I was a teenager, I was probably insufferable uh, <laughs> uh, showing off with, with magic. Uh, but I, I think I, I quickly learned that the magic, for, for me, magic is simply a way to entertain people it's a variation on telling jokes but i'm not the big i am i'm not trying to kid people or fool people it's just a bit of fun and uh, so i'm always learning i'm not always learning new tricks don't have the time to learn new tricks anymore but when it comes to speaking i look around at some of the speakers that i admire and I think, oh i would so love to be able to do that but one of the things i would have to do would be to have even more opportunity to speak on stage that i do uh, and i know many speakers who put the time in to generate business they they make the calls they make the outbound calls in order to get the business and and it works and i, I don't do that and i don't do it because i have so many other things that i'm doing and so much content marketing out there that i part of me thinks oh well, i can just wait i can afford to wait for people to come to me but hey, hands up, not enough people come to me for me to do as much speaking as I would like. <laughs> how, do I, how, how could I sort that? I could sort that by making more outbound calls and getting in touch with people rather than just sitting and waiting. I mean, so, that, that, that is the, the bottom line is that if you want more business as a speaker, you've you've got to put yourself out there it doesn't you know, there's a lot of people that maybe go go into speaking and think, well, I've written a book, you know, I, I am an expert. I'm just going to, the phone's going to ring because I'm so good. And it's not that way, is it? No, no. And, and to be fair, I was like that when I went freelance 11 years ago, I had friends saying, Mark, you're so well known. You're so highly respected. They'll be banging on your door. And they didn't. <laughs> yes. Cause that was another accolade I, I saw. You're one of the most networked accountants in in the uk i think not not the world the uk no, or definitely could not be the, the world definitely <laughs> well sorry definitely not the world though yeah this this is part it's it, it is true i have had that accolade in various forms since that 2011 but this is where the debunking comes back in because quite often um in recent years the the, the rankings of accountants and those in the financial world uh, are done by reference to social media activity 
And I know the vast majority of accountants are not active on social media. And I may be influential to a degree, but only those people who are on social media would see it or be aware of it. And every time I've been highly ranked, I've the guilt inside me has, has meant that I've written a piece or tweeted, or written articles, um, debunking the ranking system that's been used to put me so high. <laughs> Yeah. oh that's yeah. that's that's a shame you should take take that and, and run with it i think take it and yeah. run with it well I, I i i have done uh in fact last i think about six months ago a new ranking came out that instead of putting me in the top three or top five it only put me eighth in the uk and i looked at it and you know for the first time i reckoned that all the people above me deserved to be there and I, I was higher than a couple of other luminaries in the accounting world. I was, I was quite chuffed to be higher then. But it did strike me as the first time that I'd seen a decent list. So that, that was great, eighth in the UK. And then a little while later, Sage, big accounting software house, put out their top 100 global business influencers. And I was in there. Oh, wow. Which is great, except I'm not a global business influencer. <laughs> They're very nice, but hey, if Sage says it, you know, they Sage by name, Sage by nature. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, cool. So, in your view, I mean, you've seen a lot of speakers, both in Toastmasters, in the PSA, on your travels as a speaker, and you know, and also, I guess, it, magicians are in a, in a way are, are speakers, they're performers. Yeah. What, What's the difference in, in your view between a good speaker and a great speaker? Well, I think the, it, it, it's, it's got to be to do with how the audience feels afterwards and the longevity of the speaker's impact. And that includes how long they and their messages are recalled afterwards and the extent to which audience, member, audience members take action or feel better equipped to take action. And I've, I've noticed... And I'm just, as you say, I am absolutely still learning. We all are. Great speakers will use different tricks and techniques to deliver more value in each of those respects. And I've met plenty of good speakers through the PSA. Without exception, the best ones are focused on giving the audience something that they'll, va something that they'll value rather than simply sharing their story. You can get very good speakers who will share their story, their journey. But if there aren't enough really valuable takeaways for the audience, if, if, they haven't, if the speaker hasn't focused on delivering value that the audience members will recognise as value, and also, if you want to get a lot of bookings, the booker has got to recognise that value as well. Otherwise, you can do great talks that audiences love, but nobody will pay you for. I and think that's a brilliant piece of advice. Yeah, no, that's brilliant because I'm a massive advocate of stories, but stories that are relevant to what you're speaking about. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people that have had things happen to them. And that's, you know, it's, if you've got a story, that's amazing. You've already got an advantage over other people. Absolutely. But there's got to be some tangible takeaways for your audience i think you're absolutely right and you don't have to have a story or a journey to be a great speaker one of the top keynote speakers in the uk uh is regularly speaks for psa regions in it when he's got the time there isn't a lot of time for it but he's he he has made the point many times he hasn't achieved an amazing 
uh, uh, sorry, hasn't overcome a, a huge obstacle or done a big journey, but he delivers value to his audiences despite that. I, I nearly put together a talk shortly after I went freelance, actually. Uh, I was advised, well, Mark, you know so much about the accountancy profession. You could do a great talk on how not to get screwed by your accountant or how to get more value from your, or how to get more value from your accountant. I'll tell you, Sarah, I put together, I did a lot of research around it, pulled together stuff I knew. At one point I had almost 200 alternative titles for this talk. And then I sat back and thought, who's going to pay me for it? Yeah. Because actually it's, it would be hugely valuable to small business owners, one man bands, but it wasn't a talk for a big commercial audience. And when you look at who books and pays to hear talks for small business owners, you don't get paid a lot for doing that. Essentially, the people who do those talks have to do them in order to get business as a result of doing the talk. Right. And I didn't have any follow-up to that. I didn't have a book to sell, and I wasn't going to put a, create a book just to do that. Uh, I wasn't going to be offering consultancy services. So I sat back. And I never created that talk. That's good. So, so you have to be strategic and think who is going to be the customer for this, mm. and and are they the customer that I'm I'm seeking? That's that's a really another really good point there. Yeah, it, it's it's that difference between providing value to an audience and there being people who will book you. If you just want to speak and you don't mind not being paid for it, that's great, wonderful, good luck to you. I want to earn a living from the things that I do. I love helping people, accountants, fellow speakers, magicians, everybody I, everybody I connect with. I look to find ways to help them. And that's part of following up effectively after networking. But ultimately, if I'm going to apply my, my craft and my trade, I want to get paid for my talks, which means the talks I'm going to put time and effort into preparing are those that people will pay to hear. Uh, and I suppose the other way of doing it is you can try and run your own events, but that's a lot more difficult, even when you are as well networked <laughs> and well connected as I am, you know, thousands of connections on LinkedIn, on followers on Twitter, uh, we are very active and I haven't chased the numbers by playing the games. It's all, they're all, it's all genuine, but I would still struggle to get a big enough audience to warrant putting on an event of my own of a talk that, that I was creating in that way. So they're not things I choose to do. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. I, I want to, before I move on to my sort of standard questions, what I wanted to ask you was if we could summarize or if you could summarize your top, I don't know, three to five tips for people who have that dry, information-rich content what would those tips be to get people, get the audience's attention and, and keep them engaged and entertained? Okay. So I suspect I'm going to reiterate some of the things I've already said. That's but fine. I, I would start by recognizing that the value is the takeaway, not the full amount of the content. So if you're delivering dry content, if it's, if, it's, if people are expecting a technical update, then you perhaps don't have to worry about it. But if you're doing a talk that has some dry content, uh, and <laughs> yes, there's lots of people who do that, <laughs> clearly, um, then uh, I would look for ways 
to summarize the key points and start with start your preparation by thinking about what that summary is going to be um, when you when you're talking about dry material the tendency is to have too much content and we see this at uh, regional PSA meetings people have got evident knowledge around a subject and there's so much they want to put into it so here is a tip not something we've talked about before and that is get somebody else to listen to your talk and identify the key points and maybe even allow them to provide produce the first summary of your talk because they won't have that problem and challenge that we all have which is we know too much about our subject so if you get somebody else to identify the key points for you and you can then build your talk around that rather than building it from everything that's in your head Oh, brilliant one. Nice one. And then and then there's the the thing that I love that you said, which is if you can have that hook that you had around those cards, the soups. Yeah. That was a great. So try and look for those things as well, would you say? I, I would. And you know, I wouldn't encourage anybody else to do any magic in their talks whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I know some do. I know some magicians who do. And I know some people who are not magicians who put uh, the odd magic trick in there. Uh, which I think that sort of demeans magic, so I, I'm not a great fan of that. But if you, if, I, I think it, it's, all, it's always good to show a bit of yourself and who you are. So, yeah, you have an interest in stand-up comedy, so I'm sure that there are references to that in your talks without necessarily making everything too light and, and silly. Um, so if you've got an interest in motorbikes, then reference motorbikes. If you've got an interest in backpacking, reference backpacking got an interest in train spotting well hey you've got your dry subject then haven't you really good good excellent brilliant but draw, drawing analogies with stuff that you know about on other topics beyond the subject matter of your talk i suppose is the key key suggestion there brilliant thank you mark there's been some some fabulous stuff uh in in that talk some great tips for people there now i have some standard questions first one what is the best thing that speaking has done for you? Well, if it wasn't for speaking, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to have this podcast interview with you, Sarah. So. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the best thing. Oh, that's very kind of you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that's the pinnacle of your... Of your well, I hadn't finished the sentence, actually. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not going to now, because just, we'll just leave it there. Um, uh, I've... I've met loads of fascinating people who I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet otherwise. Um, but, but you know what? I, heart, in my heart of hearts, the best thing that speaking has done for me is it enables me to help a wider range of people than if I was just writing stuff. Um, because some people prefer to read the inf information tips, tricks and advice that I share. Uh, and other people like attending conferences and events and want to be entertained so being able to mix them you know, the magic the entertainment side in with something more serious and get paid for it and help people sharing knowledge and information ideas tips and tricks and yes i always use that expression tips and tricks because there's a link back to the magic there <laughs> as well excellent and what's the worst thing that's happened i think you know you're sort of 
the the gig that st- the speaking gig that stands out as an absolute night. Maybe you haven't got any, but what's <laughs> oh, the I one do. come to mind? I do. Oh yes, same one always comes to mind. Twenty odd years ago, I was doing a tax update talk, and um, I, I came up with a, s- a sudden topical idea that was very relevant to a piece of news that day, uh, and I said it without thinking about it in great detail. It was slightly off colour though. It wasn't appropriate to share from the stage of the IOD to an audience of 150 people. I watched a lady in the fourth or fifth row. I can, I can still see her now. I watched her face darken and I realised I'd made a mistake. When I looked at the feedback sheets afterwards, it was great. Almost everybody had given me four or five out of five. One person had put zero. I was sure it was her. She put zero. Thinks he's funny and he's not. And I, I resolved then never ever to risk saying anything even vaguely off colour on stage. And I never have since that date. However, I have been told by many, many expert speakers to stop beating myself up about it. Because who knows, if I hadn't been as entertaining as I was, maybe I wouldn't have got four or five out of five from everybody else in the audience and I think that, yeah exactly <laughs> you can't please all the people all the time absolutely not but it's amazing how as human beings we zone in on the one rather than all the the good you know it's the criticism rather than all the good stuff I think they're probably yeah. right don't yeah. let that lady put you off Mark yeah. no no well I, I, I think I think it was right not to have anything you know, off color in in my material uh, so I, I am I still I'm a little light in places uh, in terms of my style and approach because I want the majority of the audience to get value from what I'm doing. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Now, last question. Uh, there is a book called Think and Grow Rich by a chap called Napoleon Hill. Indeed, yeah. Uh, it's a very good book. And in that book, as you may well know, he has like yep. a mastermind group. Yep. And for you, if there are three people you can think of, and they could be uh, actually fictional or non-fictional, alive or dead, three people to be mentors, who would you choose and why? Well, I, I run a couple of mastermind groups, one for accountants in, in London, and I, and I belong to two or three others, so I'm very familiar with the concept. Uh, in, in my fictional mastermind group to mentor and support me, I would have to include Paul Daniels because uh-huh. he was an incredibly entertaining magician he used magic as a uh, almost as a lever to entertain people and he's he was so giving and sharing in his whole style and uh, approach to magicians generally and just loved the public um uh, i put uh, alongside paul um uh, i would include my friend jeremy nicholas uh, who i'm in a mastermind group with because he's a very funny guy he's a great speaking coach uh, i love his idea of tickle your keynote um, <laughs> so people who are great speakers but just want to make it a little bit more amusing but he's he's great great company and he's somebody who it took a while to get to know him and vice versa but he's just an absolute joy and delight and thirdly who would i put in thirdly it's one of those lists where you go oh well i can't say this one because i only got three or four names in there i think i would i would put a chap in called steve cohen who i don't know but steve wrote a book called uh it's called win the crowd okay win the crowd and he is the millionaire's magician 
he crafted a placing for himself entertaining millionaires at events that he puts on for them. But he's written this awesome book on how to win over an audience of, of any kind, not just through using magic, but applying the knowledge and skills he's developed as a magician uh, to do that. So it's a book I recommend. And having seen him perform, uh, I think I'd put him in as well. So Steve Cohen and the book is Win the Crowd. I'll put a link to it in the, in yep. the show notes. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. They sound like a, a good bunch. And um, yeah. did you meet Paul Daniels? I did. I did. There's a picture on my Instagram account somewhere. Another one of me with Dynamo for the people who ask if I ever met Dynamo. Uh, <laughs> are they the sort of, do they turn up to the to Magic Circle events? Yes. Not, not, ev- not every week. Uh, Jamie Raven, another TV magician. Ben Hart. Um, you know, these are British uh, tv magicians and not not every tv magician is a member of the magic circle uh, but those that are are generally very supportive and helpful it's like any other community of of experts if you like brilliant well thank you so much now where can people find you if they want to book you as a speaker to work with you uh to you know in terms of mentoring if you're um mentoring yeah. accountants and stuff where can they find you yeah. well online everywhere i'm book mark lee my name mark lee is so common uh there's dozens of of mark lee's uh even on wikipedia and there's over a thousand on on linkedin so online everywhere i'm book mark lee b-o-o-k-m-a-r-k-l-e-e very so clever. as you've probably seen my business card is a bookmark right uh so you know, on brand uh and if you know anything about neuro-linguistic programming you'll appreciate there's an embedded command there to bookmark lee it doesn't work but it worked with me you're, you're yeah. on the pod. Oh, that's true <laughs> that's true okay i'll take that yeah that's true um and so, so where's your lovely personality mark oh, rather than the sorry. bookmark i have to thank say thank you thank you sir um uh, bookmarkley.co.uk on twitter i'm at bookmarkley on linkedin uh i'm mark bookmarkley uh instagram i'm bookmarkley facebook business page bookmarkley i think and there's a theme running you've probably got that that's very good yes one of those under those marketing things make sure it's consistent yes. across all or across yeah. all platforms <laughs> very good well thank you so much for sharing your insight and your knowledge and your tips um on all the things that you've talked about today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Mine has been my pleasure. So, Sarah, thank you for encouraging me to, to think broadly on these subjects. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, there you go. Really good stuff there. I particularly like the Four Suits networking model. I think I'll give that one a bash. So thank you very much again to Mark. sharing that stuff and also thank you to you very much for listening it's brilliant that you do spare the time to have a listen and I do hope that you get value out of the show Um, I certainly enjoy putting it together for you brilliant well if you're on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook even come on over and say hi to me I'm at Sarah Archer at 15 on Instagram and Twitter I think just Sarah Archer you can find me on uh, LinkedIn and also on Facebook. I think it's like Sarah Archer Speaker or something like that. But yeah, come say hi or come and let me know if you've got any ideas for guests or topics that you'd like me to cover off in um, speaking, pitching or even copywriting, to be honest. Uh, it's it's all good stuff. It's all communication. But anything that you're struggling with that you'd like to 
get someone to help you with or get some tips from me on, then just let me know. Well, all that's left for me to say is have a smashing week and don't forget to grab your life by the pecans and get cracking. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book, Straight to the Top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is, and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.